Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Afternoon, folks. So what do you call her? What do you call your mammy? What, how do you address your mam, the woman who gave birth to you? I always called mine mam. People call their mother Mammy. Ma is one as well, probably around the city area. Mama. I was just thinking about all the different terms that people use to address their mother. But uh, in um, the Irish Independent recently, my first guest on the show today, Tanya Sweeney, really got me thinking about this uh, when she wrote in part about the Americanization of the phrase for mother. Mom. Mom. Do many of you call your mother Mom? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. I'd love to hear from you the way you address your mother. Tanya Sweeney, afternoon again. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. Not at all. You really did get us thinking, Louise and myself, all about this. And we had, oh God, we had a heated <laughs> debate on foot of what, what you wrote for sure. This <laughs> mom thing, an American, mm. an Americanization, as I said, is it because of the movies, the television, the social media, what? Well, this is interesting because, you know, I think what started me thinking about writing this story was the fact that people were talking about mom jeans and mom, you know, Vogue Williams put something on Instagram about mom guilt. And I thought, oh my God, we're, in, we're doing the mom thing in Ireland. That's weird. And I mean, we do have a lot of Americanisms in Ireland, like we're talking about cupcakes and take out coffee and whatever else. So I remember thinking, you know, do we call our mums? Mom, you know. So I went onto Twitter and said, What do you do? You know, what do you call your mother? Now, as it turns out, loads of people in places like Cork and Kerry will co- have long called their mothers mom, but it's not the American mom. It's a shorter mom than mom, the American mom. And it actually comes from Awami, you know, the Irish for, yes. for mom. So, um, and in fact, it it was in John B. Keane's play, Five. So the mom thing isn't just necessarily an American import because we've been watching loads of, uh, you know, teen stuff on Netflix, you know. Um, But yeah, it just got me thinking about kind of, you know, what we we do call our mums. I think 31% of adults in Ireland call their mother mom. Yeah. So you're in the you're in the majority. Some say mum, and about twelve percent say mom, and then twelve percent say mammy. Now this is research conducted by iReach. So um, yeah, there's a it's a broad church, I suppose. You know, it certainly is. Now, our Louise and myself, as I was telling you, are talking about this, and it, I'll tell you one thing: our Louise has a very uh, no negotiable, non negotiable stance on this because you know the way, and you touching it as well. Some people call the mothers by their name, right? To, to say, true, you know, and it, it it is a smaller number. Louise, 
you don't like this at all. No, I won't accept it. She won't accept it, no, Tanya. No, and even my daughter now, if, if, <laughs> if I'm angry or whatever, just to wind me up, she'll turn around and she go, jeez, Louise. <laughs> And look at me like, oh. and I go, right, that's it. Get up them stairs fast. <laughs> no, because, no, in my world, I went through childbirth and all of that pain. And there's only three, I have three kids. So there's only three people in the whole entire world that can call me ma'am. Right. And that's it. They're not going to call me. No by, compromise, by Tanya. What Everybody about that? Everybody else in the world can call me Louise or, or many other names. <laughs> many other names, yeah. right. <laughs> but definitely, no. What do, you, what, do you, what do you make of she does it? That's not non-negotiable with our Louise, Tanya. Well, no, well, I mean, if I was getting G's Louise now, <laughs> I would definitely be, I would definitely be irritated as well. I mean, I, I have a four-year-old and every so often she might try on saying Tanya, you know, for size. Yeah. And normally it's like, you know, she's mimicking her dad if he's kind of shouting across the house for me, you know, that kind of way. But um, yeah, every time she says it, it's kind of funny. But I think if it stuck around, I would probably be very perturbed. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, it's it's mammy. We're a mammy household here, you know, although I grew up in a mam household. Um, we're a mammy household. So she's, or, or she, she does mummy as well. Actually, mummy is more her, uh, yeah. her, her uh, salutation, I suppose. But um yeah, I, I, I think if she if she let go of it altogether, and I only have the one child, so there's only one person in the world who can call me Mally. <laughs> ah, lovely. Um, you know, so, so yeah, I, I totally agree with Louise. You know, I mean, if it was to go, it would be very... Although I do know lots of my friends, you know, who grew up in very much more progressive houses than mine, who call their parents by their names, and it always felt very weird, you know, mm. and very kind of... Um, just very different, I suppose, to my own uh, sort of experience. Yes, yes. You explained the mom thing from uh, Awami, you know, the Irish in the, in, uh, the Sive, I remember it well, of course, the, the play in that. Yes. Uh, but the mom Americanization is it a D4 thing? You know what? It's interesting because I, I, I about a month ago, I happened to be at a place with a lot of teenagers from very well-off neighbourhoods in Dublin and they all had American accents. And I was like, is everyone in this um, in this group American? What is it? And, and I was just told that, no, this is how they talk now. So, um, you know, there is a lot of mom, you know, from, from the kind of more American influence for sure, you know. But when I said it on Twitter, I was, you know, very, a lot of people were very kind of put out um, at the uh, implication that it was an American thing. And, and I was told in no uncertain terms that, that mom is, has been around for a long, long time, you know, uh, yes. certainly before uh, Hollywood ever reached these shores anyway. And by extension, I know you wrote on the female side, but we were, again, you know, broadening this out for sure. When you look at the mm. male side, uh, father, daddy, dad, dad, dada. The Oh, well, now, you, you just took the words out of my mouth because I was about to say that. And if there's something, Louise made her point about being called her name by her children. I yeah. cannot stand anybody who says, me old one, me old fella, or the old man. <laughs> I can't, Tanya. I think it's Why? the I think it's the height of disrespect. Interesting. Yeah. The okay. height. No, I, I don't call any, I don't, I'd never call my parents the L1 or the L lad or anything like that now they were definitely just like you know mom and dad in my house but uh, yeah I've, I, I, and it's funny you say that because I think guys tend to do that thing where they um, they would say the L1 you yes know? I mean I'm not sure women would say the L1 you know it's no. not because they don't want to ever be in L1 no. you know but um, 
I love that thought process. You're right, because time flies and it catches up with all of us. There's no one going in the opposite direction than adding a day to the life every single day. Louise, what do you think of that? The owl one, the owl for me owl man. No, I'm with you on that. Are you with with me on that? I think it's highly disrespectful. Yeah, and and, uh, I don't know, but I think it's, you know, you hear a lot of teenagers saying it, and, and Tanya's right, it's more male that I'd hear. And is it a kind of a... Oh, I'm so cool. I'd never say ma'am or dad, whereas they would say it indoors. Mm, I wonder. Is, is it there... a kind of rite of passage, maybe? <laughs> no. Well, I'll tell you, don't do it. Don't do it in my company, please. I will. <laughs> you will just drop uh, several notches if you I hear you saying chips that. Throw chips at you. Uh, you no, know, no, you won't. You'll never get one of my <laughs> chips because no one. I'll give you me last rollo, but you're never getting me last chip. That's for sure. Or your uh, first one either. <laughs> No, first one. But, you know, isn't it an interesting thing? And listen, they're coming into me here as I speak. Do do get in touch with us on the show. 086-1800-658. What do you think about this? Do you call your mother Mammy? Ma? What do you call your mama? What do you think is appropriate or inappropriate? Are you? What do you think? What? But I said here, and Louise agrees with me. The disrespectful nature of the old one, the elfled, the old man. Oh eight six eighteen hundred six five eight by WhatsApp. Uh, just a selection. Here's uh, Matty on to say. My mother was always called Mammy, Mum, or Mummy. Or if we were in a silly mood, we called her Mop. <laughs> <laughs> but never called her by her first name because Matt says that is so disrespectful to call your mum by her first name. Jerry, I used to call her Ma, says another listener today. Uh, that's uh, from Sean. The men are coming in. Come on, ladies. What about your mother? What have you to say? I used to call her Ma and she loved it, says Sean. So I'd say, there's a, you, know, you know what I mean? From what you've written, I think, uh, you know, the higher percentages definitely, as you said, go for ma'am, don't they? And, you know, ma'am. Me, that type of thing. Mam is definitely. Mam is the big so one, is it? It is indeed. And funnily enough, I noticed Mom. at the royal coronation, all the, uh, the 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 patriarchs were being called Pa or Papa. Oh yes. And I tell you, if that if that happens, I'm moving. <laughs> Good on you, Tanya. We have one that's a no no with you two. So that's all of us have our positions today. Louise, yourself, and myself. So Pa and Papa. I never thought of that. You're gone, are you? You're out of it. I'll be out of here. I'll be off to mom country for sure. Now, interestingly, in Ulster, uh, or the north of Ireland, mom, M-O-M, is quite popular. I I know grown women who will say mummy, you know. Yes. Um, I have to go uh, see mummy, you know. And uh, that's... uh, and that always kind of takes me a little bit because I haven't uh, called my mother a mummy or referred to her as mummy in a very long time, you know. So. Yes, yes. But um, it, it's, you know, you go on as well to write about other aspects of, you know, the words we use and the words that have crept into our uh, linguistics from abroad as well. And, and again, I have to say, it has to be due to the world being more connected and especially the American side of things. Of course. Well, there's a sort of an outsized influence in in our culture, you know, in terms of American stuff. You know, I think before we were always kind of looking towards the UK. And that's why I think sometimes we would say stuff like lager when it's lager, you know, that kind of way. We, we there's, a, there's definitely research to be said in the way we say these sort of things. And there, there has been that UK influence. But now there's been an American influence, you know, and it's and it was always kind of cool, mm. you know, to watch the American stuff. And I think it all just sort of got... Um, it all got absorbed. And the other thing as well is teenagers always want to talk a little bit differently to their parents. So that's why it sort of has, you know, uh, taken on with a younger demographic in, in such a major way. 
Yeah, you don't want to be like your parents, do you? Here they're coming thick and fast now. Jerry, I always called my late mother ma'am or mammy. My daughter Erin calls me ma'am or mammy too. I hate the term, the old one. It's so disrespectful. I'm with you all the way there, says Mina this afternoon. Let's pick out another one there. We all call our Mother, mother, says Paul, and she loves it, and we love it too. Of course, you do. You go, mother, yeah. Oh, mother, people call mother as well. Uh, Louise reminded me the Renault ad has papa in it now. And uh, Renault ad, <laughs> she's on the ball. <laughs> you're on the ball, Le Francais say papa. But there are uh, such a, a range of terms, but I think I have to say. Ma'am, you know, I always call my late mother ma'am and, and mm. that sat nicely, I, I believe. And Mammy, just back to Mammy, I did say it was popular, but it's not. It's it's one of the lower ones, Mammy or Daddy. I suppose there's a childlike connotation to that, isn't there? Of course, yeah. Well, Mammy is probably one of the first things you learn yes. today, you know. And, yes. uh, I mean, I'm not sure I'd, I'd, I'd see very many grown men saying Mammy in, a, in a, anything other than an ironic way to be. Mm. Yes, yes. Well, by God, food for thought, debate, positions taken. Tanya Sweeney, you're on the money again. Thank you so much for joining us. And please do read this woman in the Irish Independent. She's simply brilliant. Thanks again. I always appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Take Thank care, you. Tanya. Bye. That's the wonderful Tanya Sweeney there. I'm a Eurovision fan, but I'm absolutely disillusioned today. I cannot believe that Wild Youth We Are One didn't make it into the top 10 from 15 last night in the semi-final in Liverpool to qualify for Saturday's final. I really believe it was a strong, really good song. And yet, what went through? Some absolute rubbish. I mean rubbish. They wouldn't get on the stage in Britain's Got Talent. I really believe that. I'm joined by Eurovision royalty now. A winner, Charlie McGettigan. Hello again. Good to talk to you again. How are you? I'm really good, but I'm down in me boots today because of last evening, Charlie. What's your, what, what's your feelings? Well, I was just listening to what you're saying there. My opinion would be completely the opposite. I w- sat down to watch the Eurovision last night, the, the, the first semi-final, and I just thought the, the, the standard of technology, of visual effects, of and some great, great songs. There was a great anti-war song. You know, there was. I just was. I was astounded, and I'm not. I'm of the old school. You know that I like. You know, a song yes. with words and a melody, etc. But uh, in this case. Um, I, I, I was knocked out by the, by the whole presentation, the entire, including Ireland's. I thought they did a fantastic job, but by God, with, uh, there were some amazing um, feats of technology there. But do you see what you say, Charlie? You're talking about technology and visual effects, and you did say there were strong songs as well. I give you that. But it is that type of, of show, and, you know, <laughs> did you not think the Irish song was in the top ten? Well, you see, it's a question of it's not what I think. Yeah. It's what people vote. It's what people vote for. I thought the boys did a great job. I loved the I loved the song because it was you know we are one in music and everybody. It was very typical and, and a great song for for Eurovision. The, I tell you what, now I think in the, at this stage I have to yield and admit that the technology has taken over, and it's now every country trying to show how good they are visually as well as sound-wise. I mean, some of the sounds and some of the record. It's funny, I watched the one show, the BBC One show just before, and they went behind the scenes for about five or ten minutes and just showed what's involved. 
I think it's it's an enormous an enormous task. I have to admit, I have to admit, I was taken and completely enjoyed all the visuals, particularly Malta, for example. Mm. I thought it was a, a really clever, clever, very clever piece of of visuals and uh, and combined with live. Mm. So I think we have to we have to admit now that Eurovision is not just about a great song, and I still think a great song with a with the right singer will win it. But it's it's also about what way you present it. And I just think we need to go ever so slightly up in our technology and we would have been up there with the best. Okay. yeah. So uh, actually, my wife said that. She said last night she thought our presentation fell behind the others. She did say that to me last night. She said, I just feel we uh, very good song, strong, etc. But we just weren't at the races. That is really interesting. But look, Charlie, here's the thing about it. You know, it's we've only got through, what, twice in the last 10 years to the final stage. Look at our record going back to your time, seven wins and that's a long long time ago but you know I still say that there's disappointment today and the lads probably feel disappointed as well and our own Ken O'Sullivan here who's 30 years uh, and a Eurovision fan and more besides but he covers it here every year in LMFM and he said to me yesterday that he felt they wouldn't get through because of the public voting system and looking at the countries we were on with well, I've been flogging this dead horse for years about the public voting. I think they, ha- they have to change the format. I think what, what they need to do is surely, yes, have public voting. But if, if, if you're voting that, that, um, that you will win a prize, a major prize, something worth 100,000 euros, if you can match, if you can pick the top five, you know, um, mm. songs, uh, that included in the voice. So therefore, then you're voting for the song you think will win rather than the song of the yes. country next door yes. or the song, you know, I think they have to issue or, or create an incentive for people to vote for the song rather than that. And the other thing about it as well is that if your singer is with a major record company who have maybe the likes of Westlife in their, in their, in their, in their stable, they have then, they've then got the idea. All they have to do is on their social media, Westlife wants you to vote for our song, for this song, you know, and, and they've immediately trapped every single Westlife fan in the world, yes. which is a worldwide thing. So I think that that's the other reason why I think it's, it's very easy, easy to manipulate the yes. public vote, even though the public doesn't even know that they're being manipulated. Yeah, oh, that's a very good suggestion. I like that, Charlie. Now, bringing it a little closer to home, you're appearing at the venue in Rateau tomorrow evening, is it, with Liam Lawton and Mark Cahill? Yeah, so, uh, you know, this is a little, uh, an idea that Mark Cahill had. Liam Lawton is Father Liam Lawton. We've been singing in our choir at home for years. We've been singing the works of Liam Lawton. You can imagine how chuffed I was when Mark rang me and said, would you like to do a show with Liam Lawton? I said, with a cat drink milk, you know. To, to, so he put, we put this little show together. Um, Mark on keyboards, myself on guitar, and Liam Lawton on vocals and keyboards as well. And we have my grandson, uh, Porrick Bennett, as a guest. And it's we we rehearsed there a couple of times over the last few weeks, and it's just sounding beautiful. Brilliant. And I'm I'm in, I've got stars in my eyes looking at Liam Lawton, <laughs> and, and then I've played this at the, the venue I thought before. It's a lovely, lovely venue. Yes, really looking forward to it. And there's still some tickets available uh, from the venue at Thol. Check it out online. Get booking, and a, a wonderful night assured tomorrow evening with Charlie, Father Liam, Mark Cahill, and of course Charlie's protege as well. Listen, it's great to chat to you today. And you know what I'm doing? I'm a traditionalist. I love you guys. I'm going back to when Eurovision was Eurovision. 
Here it is, Charlie McGettigan. Love ya. Take care. All the best, baby. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We were the rock and roll kids. Rock and roll was all we did. And listening to those songs on the radio. I was yours and you were mine. That was once upon a time. Now we never seem to rock and roll anymore. May time and I'm back with Rosie May in her beautiful garden near Slane. Yes, she's well known as the insomniac gardener, but she's certainly insomniac when you look around this garden and see all the colour that I'm seeing coming in the gates today. Look at this for a sea of blue. What have we here? Okay, so you may remember that in January, February, this was covered in snowdrops. And then you were very sad when the snowdrops were gone. But we have continuous colour here. So the blue actually is forget-me-not. It's just a a sea of forget-me-nots. But dotted in amongst it are uh, bluebells. The yellow are daffodils and then yellow Welsh poppies. The reds are tulips that are almost gone over but they were they were beautiful they're appledore and tulips and you can see some of the um now they're spanish bluebells which some people don't like but i like them under here because they can do their thing they give a lovely splash of color see they're white and there's also lilac ones it's magnificent because you see when i came first there were the snowdrops which was the lovely white then followed by the daffs last time we're here and now a combination of late daffs beautiful tulips and the blue it's magnificent oh thank you actually I, I do like that kind of continuous color and i don't know if you can see in amongst the the forget-me-nots those tall f- plants there they are actually foxgloves so in june this will also have a completely different vibe because all that will be gone the tulips and all the daffodils will be gone but the foxgloves will be here you're a genius. Your actual programme of flowers coming on seasonally are brilliant. Now, come down here. Look at these. Now, you talked about tulips, that some are on the wane there. Yeah. But look at these. These are what? Orange, fire red colour. <laughs> they are. They're actually a tulip that I really like. In fact, the tulips here, which is really unusual, a lot of tulips only last a year or two. These are a Darwin hybrid tulip and they're Appledorn red and yellow and they're there almost 20 years now they're, they've faded a bit but look at these ones this is an orange uh, I think it's called Appledorn Elite and they're only planted last November so when you plant them in November they're always a bit later the following year and then the year after that they, they all kind of flower together And in the background, we have to talk about the greenery. What are these beautiful green shrubs down to a very light-coloured shrub on our right-hand side? Okay, so these are the the light colour and then the one behind it, the darker. They're two maples, uh, maple orange dream. That's uh, a neopanix, the kind of funky-looking thing there in the middle with the kind of purple wine-coloured flowers or inflorescence or whatever you call them. This one here is um, a viburnum. And it's, do you see, when you come back, hopefully the next time that'll be in full bloom. Yes. See the up, upward facing I see flowers? Yeah. And then this here is a, a Vilegia, and we've got another Viburnum and a Holly. Oh, they're absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and the range of greens and colours, and they're about to flower, as Rosie yeah. says there. What's this little purple guy stuck in here beside okay. this magnificent <laughs> ash tree? Now, that is uh, called, it's a biennial. Like the foxglove, it puts on its leaves in the first year, and then it flowers in the second year. And that just seeded itself in there. But you ain't seen nothing yet, as they say. Wait till I show you the rest of the honesty. 
Oh, there's another trees in store, many more, as we walk around Rosie May's beautiful garden. And we have to say, as we walk up towards the upper level, our friends overhead are in full song. You have to be careful, I'm glad you're wearing a hat. (laughs) (laughs) So, tulips here at the the front door. In pots. In pots, and they're actually, would you believe, they're buckets. And I drill the bottom of the buckets, and then I pull some of the the forget-me-not out of the driveway, and I interplant... Uh, just to give the uh, kind of soften it all you know so I like the look of that at the door it's beautiful and it just shows you what you can do with containers anywhere absolutely and if you in fact as we go around here you'll just see this is a lovely oh yes isn't that a mad one yes (laughs) what is that it's a tulip and uh, it's a new one that I planted some last year but unfortunately the mice got them and only one bloomed but it was so beautiful I said oh gosh I think I'm going to try that again it's called Go Go Red isn't it fabulous? It's fabulous. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. It just hits you. If you looked at it, you wouldn't notice a tulip, actually. No, you wouldn't, actually. And then these ones here, that's um, uh, Rembrandt tulip. And then the little pink ones are called peppermint stick. The name just describes what it looks like, doesn't yeah. it? Do you remember the sticks around? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> the very same thing. It is. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, my. As I turn the corner, <laughs> I know what you were saying a moment ago now. Yeah. Look at this. I have to say, the turning of the seasons in the garden is just yeah. magnificent and yeah. all it can bring as well. Yeah. But anyway, you're going to describe now what I'm <laughs> waxing lyrical about here. And I have to give credit to the man of the house. He has the lawns looking beautiful. He certainly does. He was saying it's very wet, though. It's obviously, we're on a hill so um, he got that cut last night but he couldn't do the front because it's really soggy down there Mm. this is really one of the busiest times of the year spring and autumn you know you have to strim you have to edge the beds you have to do all sorts of work but he's great at putting in curves because I think the curves are nicer than straight lines so the first one you saw was a light purple which came from my parents it's called Lunaria annua it's just a, a biennial as I said leaves in the first year flowers in the second year so this one is kind of unusual in that it has a really dark leaf and that's Lunaria annua chedlo, which you can just see. Look at it. It's just a swathe oh. of, of, of purple. And then there's the lighter purple. See up, up at the top. But then over here, see that blue? Oh. That's called Corfu blue. And then the white is a white honesty. Look at the range, as you say, of purple yeah. colours from light through to deep and the leaves and that one you described. And a white one, yeah. And a white one. And a white one. And it's funny because, you know, they do pop up most unexpectedly. Now, last year I did encourage this one because I waited for... Because they're called also the money plant. Because in the autumn, they're much beloved by flower rangers. In autumn, the seed heads form. Actually, if you just follow me over here, I'll just show you. Do you see that little tiny seed head there? Yes. That'll grow and grow and grow. And then in the autumn, the two sides come off and it's kind of just translucent, this lovely shiny little disc and the seeds are in the middle and I just spread the seeds but then that's when it's loved by flower rangers for the seed heads and then that's the white one there look at it oh a lovely lovely maple in the middle it's beautiful it's beautiful the white is delicate isn't it it looks delicate it looks petite etc but it's absolutely gorgeous I see your friends uh, are fertilising the beds from a a high as well (laughs) they sure are and when we're heading up into the woodland now I just wanted to show you Do you see this little pink and then the darker pink and the white? Yes. Um, They're all a dicentra. Now, actually, they changed the the name of them, which is very annoying. But anyway, I'll go with dicentra. (laughs) I can't even remember what the the new one is. But um, this is a different one. It's called a fern leaf dicentra. And it's lower than the kind of traditional bleeding heart, if you like. So I'll just get you to bear that in mind because I'm going to show you the other one. And then this is a really unusual plant here. 
That's Chinese fairy bells, isn't it lovely? It's beautiful. It's this a boring. real deep, dark brown, would you um, describe yeah. it? Yeah, it's almost black, like because there isn't really a black plant. Apparently black doesn't exist, but there's always very dark browns or dark purples. And this will have lovely little, see the lovely little creamy flowers? They're on the way out. Yep. Yeah, and, and there's another one there. We've had one, one at the back there. as well, yeah. yeah. When we look at these beautiful plants as we wander along, had you a plan in mind? Is this your design? Did you set out all those years back to make this happen the way we're looking at it today? Okay, were you talking to Porik, were you? Because, no. Because this is a bit of a joke. When we moved here, he gave me this lovely sheet of you know, graph paper, actually a whole copy book of graph paper. And I was like, what's that for? And he said, to design your dream garden. So I said, oh, that's a great idea. So the graph paper is still in the press. Now, I wish I could say that I did design it, but um, I like to just joke and say I learned to garden by trowel and error because, you know... He, Porik also says sometimes, he said, your plants should have wheels under them because I'm always moving them. Oh, that was the wrong place. But you do learn. And now if I was advising anybody starting out, I would advise them to, you know, to draw it out. Whereas we just literally started planting and we planted and planted and planted. And then I took seeds and, you know, it's 20 years of planting, you've got mm. to remember, and obsessive planting. Going to plant fairs, going to garden centres, picking up things off sad benches, going to different societies, kind of, when they have a plant fair. Because you're always looking for a bargain and always looking for something unusual, you know, mm. so. The short answer is no, I didn't No, design. but let me say, you've done magnificent, absolutely magnificent. So up we go That's to the it. high part of the garden here yeah. again, and here we're That's seeing... another honesty. Yeah, and a, a different one. A different one, that is different to all we've seen so far. Isn't it? It's a lovely dark one, actually. A friend of mine, uh, she runs a little nursery, Cedam and Sage, just down the road. And she has this in her driveway. And I was admiring it one day. So she pulled out a few seedlings and gave them to me. And look, I mean, now that was about three or four years ago. And now, again, I keep the seeds. I keep a few to, to let them go to seed and then I, I, I scatter them and I try and keep them separate because they're a bit promiscuous and you see you might end up with you don't know what colour so that's all the dark purples down there you can see there's more under that tree see I the see them indeed yeah so yeah. there's lots <laughs> lots and lots. lots is right yeah. so up to the top we come yeah, up 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 what are we looking at here now the woodland if you like we put this in in 2016 and if you just see here that's Solomon's seal and that all came from my parents garden and this is Pachypragma. Now, there are a lot of curves here. Again, that's thanks to Porik because he put in the paths. And the last of the daffodils here, um, there's a lot more to come here. Coriodalis. We've got some rhododendrons here. And the woodland, I'm starting to fill the woodland with these lovely acers. And the reason being, um, we have a lot of westerly winds and the acers don't like strong winds. So we put them just here because they're protected by that overgrown laurel mm. and if you just come up here we'll show you the dicentra hold on a minute you're walking by no, another purple friend here <laughs> totally different what's this actually uh, people are going to kind of shiver now when they hear this this is vinca but it's a lovely one it's i think it's vinca autropurpureum and it's a much smaller flower and it's not quite as much of a, a thug shall we say as <laughs> there's another one <laughs> and it literally oh gosh um, like people sometimes regret putting it in but you see this bank is just all kind of subsoil mm. claggy subsoil that nothing we thought would grow on and look at the vinca's doing a great job and some lovely ferns there yes, you know? yes it's so. beautiful and then you can see there's a tree fern here there's a tree fern over there just lots and lots of ferns lots of celandine do you remember when you were here the last time we were trying to 
clear the celandine. <laughs> Poor Helen. <laughs> Some job. She's on her hands and knees. Helen plays such a huge part in this garden as well. And she's here working away as we natter. Natter. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you see, that, that, that's it. I say, see you, Helen. Have to, have to go talk to Jerry. <laughs> Helen, God bless the work. You're doing a great job. You're she's, doing a great she's job. well used to And look, uh, you can see there. Look at the work. Like, you can yeah, see, you, you know, taking out that celandine. It's a yeah. big job, isn't it? It's a huge and why take it out at this time of the year? And it will come back. Oh, it definitely will come back. Yes. And uh, you know, in fact, Helen and I were just discussing that because it seems like a pointless exercise. But do you see here where I took it away from this? We were kind of working to meet, if you like. Mm. That's a lovely epimedium there with a really kind of delicate flower. And see here? Yeah. And it's just allowing the other things to grow up. Yes. Now, I know it's a pointless exercise and I think I'm probably obsessed with it in a bad way because it will melt away. Look at this yeah. again. Another sea of blue as we walk down towards the lower part of the garden where the pond is here. Yeah. My oh my, look at this, how it's changed as well <laughs> since last time. Yeah, well, lots of these little Welsh poppies and you can just see that's a really good place for the maple because that's sunken down at the well and those other trees are actually protecting again that maple from the worst of the westerly winds but I wanted to show you over here I don't know whether they were I don't think they were no they weren't out the last time and I see you pointing at them and look at the big what do you call that rhubarb that's around the edge I call it rhubarb that's around (laughs) the edge of the pond it's an incorrect description come on tell me what it is it's Gunnera and that's been there about 20 years in fact I just was in there digging up a piece the other day for a friend of mine she's got a kind of a damp spot that she wanted to put some in but it's it's very prehistoric looking that's not the the one that spreads so that's 20 years of growth there so it's not it's and not you'd, you'd you'd understand that there is that amount of growth on it as yeah. well the yeah. pond uh, sits still slightly sheltered today look at here we have loads of primroses here on the left here here's this lovely we've changed uh, to a pinky purple can I say that you absolutely can absolutely can and it's a really beautiful plant it's a candelabra primula and you can just see there's a kind of a like it's almost like a a flowery substance on the stem and then they grow in these whorls around the stem yes they're magnificent I see where it got the name from if you think of candelabra the way it grows and I look out in the pond I see water boatmen and every type of creature out there as well (laughs) bringing my little bit of fishing knowledge in when I see, see the, the water itself. Yeah. And now we head to the very lowest part of the garden. And we were telling me earlier, the grass cutting uh, was quite an operation. It's sort of the sump of the garden, could you say that? The pond is actually the overflow from our well. And then that overflows into this wet ditch. And then the wet ditch goes off yeah. down to the River Boyne. So their flag iris is their native and that's marsh marigolds and just along here we've lots of hostas and it's funny do you see this giant one here that's empress Wu. and there was something we don't have many slugs but the other day didn't i find the tiniest snail and i mean the size of my little fingernail and he did all that damage they can do a lot of damage our slimy friends for sure (laughs) so we finish our visit today here in the lowlands of the garden and you can feel it as we walk on it you can just feel the softness underfoot but come on Rosie please God we're going to get some nice weather aren't we I hope so (laughs) because uh, there's certain things like the roses will love the sunshine anyway early May my visit and what a visit it's been again to Rosie made the insomniac gardener just outside Slane in County Mead. It'd just do your heart good to wander around here today and lift your spirits. And do check her out. Remind them where they can find out a lot more about you and your garden. Well, I'm on Instagram and it's the insomniac gardener. 
Facebook and I have a bit of a blog with the same name when I want to really hold forth. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you so much for inviting me again. It's a joy, I have to say, and I look forward to visiting again very soon. And let's hope the heat sets in and we get summer at last. I hope so. I look forward to it, Jerry. Thanks a million. (laughs) Mark was in with us. Our very own Mark O'Driscoll. He was listening to us talking about what you call your mother or your father. And Mark is from Colvin County, Cork. And... Louise, it's, it shows you the, um, what would you say, the geographical differences as well. He was saying that for, for the mother, mother... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Old lady, me old lady was me old laid, sorry, me old laid. My old lady, we'd say, me old laid, they'd say down there, right? Uh, me old man, that's me old man, mm. is, is a saying down there. And for the girlfriend, me, me old doll. <laughs> you heard that one before. There's a lot of single men down there, so. <laughs> Mark, are you listening? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark will be waiting outside the door when you go out there to yeah, have well, a I'll be lynched <laughs> on the Eurovision Anne says the whole Eurovision is a farce Jerry. do you know we came last I didn't know that to be honest with you I call my mum mum but my children call me mum Americanized for sure, Jerry. In in our house, says James, it's she is to she who is to be obeyed, says James. Uh, we always called our parents ma'am and called dad himself. You heard that one before. Himself. Oh, himself. oh yeah, yeah. Himself, okay. you know what right. I mean? That comes in from Michael and from Conrad this afternoon. Uh, another listener. I still call her mammy and I'm 62. I'm 62. What do you think of that, Louise? I still call her mammy. I think that's lovely. I think that's Ah, really sweet. Isn't that really nice? Yeah. Um, Do we really ever want to host the Eurovision again, Jerry? Says another listener. You're right when you were talking to Charlie, Jerry. They should rename it the Techno Song Contest. So, thank you for that. I used to like it, says another listener, but Dustin finished it all off for me. He was bloody well back last night in Liverpool on the name of God. It's a song contest, Jerry. You're so right. And I'm gutted too, says another listener this afternoon. And so on and so on they go. What about the breaking news? Um, the retailers are meeting the government this afternoon. There's news from the meeting already, Louise. Yes. Well, Tesco is going to save us some dough. Basically, they, they've said they're going to reduce their own brand slice pan by, wait for it, 10 cent from tomorrow. A so, whole 10 cent. So, so it's going down now to um, 89. 89 cent from 99, from 99 cent, which is still a far cry. It, used to, it started off 69 cent before all this started. So it's still 20 yeah. higher. They've taken a few cent off the milk, haven't they done that already? Yeah. And the butter. So you'd probably save 50 cent a week on your mm. bread, wow. milk and butter. Wow. That'll I was going to say everybody. that I'd be able to buy a packet of own brand wine gums with that, but no, they put that up <laughs> over 50 cent as well. 
It used to be around four to five, I think. Listen, five. you stick to the fox's fruits and you only have to buy one packet a year. What are you talking about? Have you lost the rally yourself? You're the queen of sucking sweets. Stick to the fox's. Never mind your, your wine gums. <laughs> anyway, have we a song? Or yeah. Are we? Yeah, okay. Let's let's have a song on late lunch the other day and it's a cracker. Yeah, it's Miss Vanessa Carlton and a thousand miles and after the next break we're talking to our doc Dr Kate McCann about cholesterol we're talking uh, cholesterol for the next while on late lunch with our doc Dr Kate McCann good afternoon again Kate hi Jerry thank you very much for joining me on the show you don't have to talk to me about it only for the drugs I don't know where I'd be just to uh, tell you and listeners that I've been on a statin for the last 15 years and it's changed over the years and I'm on one called Atazet at the moment and by God, it's knocked my cholesterol, Kate. Good, good stuff, Jerry. It's good to get those numbers down if, if you're if you're in a risk zone. And and I am in that risk zone. And I've often, just in a general sense over the years, people said to me, oh, you shouldn't be taking those statins. They're not good for you. And uh, this, that and the other. Go the natural route and, and that'll work just as well. But I am very reluctant to fly in the face of uh, the advice and what I'm recommended uh, by my cardiologist, Kate. Yeah, and that is and that is the tricky thing when it comes to cholesterol is that um, you do need a little bit of personalized advice. Um, and the reason for that is that for some people, you know, th- it is possible their numbers are only a little bit up. Um, they haven't, they really are not a point in their life where they've, they maybe have any, paid any attention to their health. And that sometimes um, for those people, yeah, some lifestyle interventions are all they need and they don't need to go down the statin route or at least not right away. For other people, especially people with genetics, and our people have already done all the lifestyle interventions are already they eat healthy they they, they they exercise they do everything right you know but those numbers are still up and then yeah their doctor does recommend that we got to get your risk down and statins are are often the next step and you know uh, in a joking type of way people will say to you will take the tablets and eat what you want what do you say to that well look and um, you know it, it's like everything else there's more than one reason to do any of this and i think that's the thing about well a lot of times with health we sometimes we're very focused on well you know it, it you know it's all not it's not all about your cholesterol it's not all about the blood pressure it's not all about the blood sugars and quite honestly when it comes to this stuff usually when you're looking after one part of your health the other stuff falls in line as well so diets that negatively impact cholesterol yeah, you can take the statin, but then you have to think about the other effects it's having, such as on uh, things such as um, blood sugar or on your risk of things like bowel disease mm. or bowel cancer. Mm. That's so true. So it is an holistic rep- uh, approach. In, in a few words, what is cholesterol? Just for people who might understand it. Yeah, so cholesterol is, is, this, is this fatty stuff, and we actually need some of that. So this is, I think, where a lot of this myth saying cholesterol is not bad, we need it. We actually do. And our body uses it to make hormones, um, all the hormones we need that kind of regulate all the stuff that goes on in our bodies. And, and, there's, a, and there's a couple types of it. We have the, the, the high-density um, lipids, um, and those are, the, those are the good ones. And then we have these lower-density lipids, uh, and those are, for lack of a better word, what we would call the bad ones. So if you're ever looking at stuff online or, you know, your doctor's trying to break things down really simply, they say we talk about the bad cholesterol, the good cholesterol. It's a little oversimplified, but it's one way to look at it in that we want one number to be 
so high. We want one number to be so low. Um, and, you know, it's just this. And, but when we get too much of it, it actually gets kind of sticky or waxy and you can start to line um, our blood vessels. And this is where we get into trouble. Total cholesterol. What should the numbers be? Total cholesterol, LDL, HDL, the two you've mentioned there. Yeah, so when you go to your 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 docs, usually your GP, um, then they take your they take your bloods, and then a couple of days later you go back in to see them. They've got this this printout, um, and then and generally speaking, there could be a couple other numbers. The four ones that your doc's probably looking for is this total cholesterol number, and we'd love to see that less than five. Um, the LDL number that that that's that quote unquote bad cholesterol. We want to see that less than three. But that said, for people with extra risk factors. Um, your doctor might want to see that less than 2.5. Um, the HDL, we actually want to see it to be at least one if you're a man. We want to see it over 1.2 if you're a woman. And then your triglycerides, we kind of want that under 1.7 for everyone. So they're ideal combinations. They're the numbers you're you're aiming for or to get to. So let's talk about getting to those. I mentioned the statins and that. And as you said, people need statins and a lot of people because they're a huge, as you know, uh, aid in the fight against high cholesterol in the world. We take it that that is uh, there and it is used as an option for me and, and thousands and millions of others as well. But what else can help us in the fight against high cholesterol levels? Yeah, so a lot of things, actually, a lot of things that people don't think about. So, I mean, the one that everyone thinks about is diet. Um, and, and that does make a huge difference to many people. Not Again, not everyone. There's plenty of people who eat right and not enough. But if you're if but for one of the first places to least to look to look at first is, is your diet. Um, so uh, so um, reducing the amount of added cholesterol and added um, you know, saturated and trans fats that we have in our diet, we find things, and people would already know this, you know, eggs, butter, um, the, the fat had meat, um, and a lot of really processed foods. And that's where people really kind of get caught out. They don't think about all those processed foods are often made with trans fats, high cholesterol. And then after we go from diet, we talk about all the other things. Believe it or not, physical activity, exercise is a great way to manage your cholesterol. Um, low-risk drinking, um, excess sugar and excess alcohol in the diet can raise the triglycerides. So keeping those down to um, to minimal and low-risk levels is good. And then smoking. Smoking can affect your cholesterol. So um, one of the effective ways to manage your cholesterol and reduce, reduce a lot of other risks of cardiovascular disease and stroke is to quit smoking. I can't believe as well you've been uh, talking about those uh, as very important, but you also mention sleep and stress. Yeah, so um, I think they're really underappreciated. Um, people kind of know that stress is bad for them, but we can do studies and we look at these independent risk factors of people who are uh, under under high stress or people who um, are have chronic sleep deprivation. And we find their cholesterol is more likely um, to be out of a target range than people who do get good sleep or people who do have a lower stress or, or more effectively managed stress. Come back to the diet, because that, as you say, is a significant one. You're a fan of the Mediterranean diet. I'm a fan of, of, of Mediterranean. Well, I think the whole spectrum of what we of what we call plant predominant diets where we're moving away from the animal product being the center of the diet, the dominant part of the diet, and that our plates are more full of, 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 of 
plant in Mediterranean and we're using instead of uh, uh, excess amounts of, um, of things like butter and, and dairy on those plates, we're using things such as olive oil, uh, flaxseed, rapeseed oil, which is associated with better heart health. Fibre, I take it again, you mentioned there, touching it, vegetables, beans, etc., whole grains, nuts, all those things, avocado, all those things, very good for you, if you're talking about a range of foods to take. Yeah, uh, and I think that this is a this is a tricky area. So if you're going to go down the, um, go and say, I'm going to manage my cholesterol with diet, I always advise two things to do first, because you can kind of get drawn into a, down into a spiral of Nutribabble online with this one. And would be first talk to your doc and see, you know, is, is that right, right, you know, step for you to take with your risk factors. And the other is next is to work with um, a registered dietitian who can help, you know, help you go through that and, and, and put a diet plan together. If you're going to do it, it, it does need um, it does need a, a really good faith effort. And though it take if it's just mildly high, your doctor said to make some small changes. Sometimes just doing things like adding in those plant sandals can be enough for some people. Again, not everybody. What about the, in particular, I am aware of it, the range of food stuffs, but in, in particular yogurts and yogurt drinks that talk about these plant stenols and they can bring your cholesterol down. How credible is that? And I'm not trying to take away from them in any way. They make the claim. Is it a credible claim in your book? Uh, it is. To a point, I think like everything else. And so if you are consuming around two grams a day, so for some of these, they have the, um, the, the yogurt drinks or small yogurt, single serving drink. A lot of them will come with the two grams um, and that's all you need. If you're just doing switching to spread, you have to make a significant amount of it, you know, a couple of teaspoons a day. And it can reduce um, cholesterol, but only to a point. Okay, so it's part of the fight against it, you say, but it, it, it can be a part of it. Tell me this, never heard of this before. This is new on me. You might explain to listeners as well. What is the portfolio diet? Yeah, and I, you know, um, it's something that I learned when I was, um, when I was getting my board certification was the portfolio diet. I thought it was fairly obscure. And yet, um, when I have patients referred to me, I have had at least um, at least a dozen patients over the last year. When they come into me, they say, doctor, can we talk about the portfolio diet? And this portfolio diet was a study done in 2003 and then further studies in this series was done in 2011 by a guy named Jenkins um, over in Canada. And he basically put patients um, on a the strict diet. There was a portfolio of foods that were, again, really rich in these plant stanols. And then in his control group, he had people who were just told to eat healthy. And then the other group, he had people who were put on statins. And at the end of a couple of weeks, he found that the people who were on these strict portfolio diets did almost as well as the people on statins for getting those LDL numbers down. Hmm. So uh, if you want to look it up and check it out, folks, it's the portfolio diet. But I think, again, I'm going back to something you say there. Really, you need to talk to your GP before you make a dramatic move like this or to chuck the statins, you know, in favor of something like this. Yeah. Now, again, I, I'm a lifestyle medicine physician, so my so I definitely um, oh, like like most doctors, honestly, we're not we're not. We're not really that pill happy. We really would love to get patients where possible to make those lifestyle changes and, and, and put off or not take the pills. So, I mean, most doctors are happy enough to say, look, you want to make some lifestyle changes, let's try it. 
Um, however, it's not always enough or, not, or sometimes for a lot of patients, they're doing all this stuff already. If it's not working, um, then the pills might be the next step. When you look at life in general today and convenience, you mentioned processed food, fast foods, go shopping today, just look as well what's on offer. You know, there's an awful lot in the food chain there that really is, uh, you know, underpinning the rise in cholesterol ra- uh, rates. What do you make of that or what can be done there? You know, they we get this advice, your advice today as well, but we're bombarded. You know what I mean? It's all around us, uh, foods that are pushing up cholesterol levels. Yeah, now I think we've talked about this before and there's been a lot highlighted by by multiple different aspects in Ireland here that we are bombarded by both processed and ultra-processed foods. And they, there's a number of health risks associated with um, diets that are high in processed or ultra-processed foods. It's an independent risk factor for, for a lot of diseases. Um, and this is a conversation that we're, we're going to have to have in Ireland. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's a looming health crisis over the, over the next decade or so. Uh, on another point, you know, children from a young age, as they grow up and, and their diet, are they, you know, sowing the seeds if, if the diet is bad from a young age for trouble down the road? Yes. Um, and this this would surprise a lot of people. But if we look at the data where we have a lot of data for would be um, the um, the clinics in Ireland uh, and around the world that specialize in childhood obesity. We know that uh, many children with childhood obesity do have high cholesterol at ages that we really wouldn't expect to see it. You know, and and other things, if if my patients who are in otherwise good health say to me, oh, when should I get my cholesterol checked? We usually say after age 40, um, unless you have a a significant family history and other risk. Um, Yet yet we know with um, children and adolescents with obesity, we do find a a percentage of them have high cholesterol um, at a very young age. And that is often related. uh, It's multiple factors, though. I mean, we have to look at a lot of factors, but... Um, so it can happen in children. Diet is one factor, but there's a load of factors in when we talk about childhood obesity. And the other thing we have to talk about, I suppose, as we talked about before about the rates of the disease of obesity in Ireland, is that obesity itself is a risk factor for uh, high cholesterol. And that has to do with the way that, um, that the fat tissue or the adipose in our body processes and metabolizes. So we do know that, um, for example, when patients are on weight loss journeys, um, medically supervised, you usually see their cholesterol numbers fall um, as the weight loss fall, as the weight falls. So before we finish, just in a, in a word or two, you mentioned over 40 have the cholesterol tested. Is that a good rule of thumb or today by what you said there? Should we be looking at our cholesterol from an even younger age to have the test done? I think you're going to have another, I'd say if you're going, if you, I'd say 40 is kind of a rule of thumb across the board. If you haven't seen your doc and you're going to go get the you go kind of get the NCT done, and the cholesterol is almost always included over the age of forty, um, and it doesn't need to be a fancy executive health check. Your 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 GP is well able to to do this. It's not be anything fancy. And um, when we want to do it at younger ages, there's going to be a risk factor, and you're probably in with your GP for a different reason. And this will be done part of a as part of a blood panel. So patients that we want to know those risks, uh, for example, um, patients, um, for example with obesity, with diabetes, um, with a strong family history, and with other um, strong risk factors for heart disease or stroke. And these these patients, we, we will be checking it sooner. You're walking again. Tell them about it. 
Yeah, so the Walk with the Doc program is back um, this Sunday. And we had a nice little winter hiatus, and this, um, but this Sunday we're back, 10, 15 a.m. And this time we're going to try St. Catherine's Park in Lucan. It's quite central um, uh, for, uh, for uh, many of my patients, right? Because it wasn't Ashburn, so we're going to move it out to um, St. Catherine's Park in Lucan. If you want to join us, it's, um, we're going to meet in the Overflow Car Park at 10, 15. You don't need to register. The event is free, and um, it's a wonderful international program. And this is the Irish chapter, and I'm I'm delighted that we're getting back to it after the winter. Great stuff. And what day of the weekend is that? That's Sunday. Sunday, ten fifteen, St Catherine's Park, Luke, and everybody welcome. Until the next time, Dr. Kate McCann. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thanks so much, Jerry. Take care. Bye bye. On the way to work today, I just noticed the red and white colours really starting to appear. Many cars with the flags out. I was down around the Crushwood Avenue area there. Cavan is that area. Red and white bunting everywhere. I encourage everybody in County Loud, get your colours out. What's rare is wonderful. A Leinster final for Loud? My God, it's fantastic. Dublin coming up on Sunday and we will have a special hour on Friday dedicated entirely to Loud and the Leinster final here on Late Lunch. Louise, Robert De Niro is a dad again at 79 <laughs> what do you think well he's not going to change any nappies is he <laughs> no, really realistically he's not he's not going to get up in the middle of the night and nope. do a night feed no nope, he's not he's a dad again just I was going to say something but I hope not seven, no no 79 no, no that's ridiculous it is. I think it's. I think I have to say, my God Almighty. Um, he confirmed he was doing an interview, and they said you have six children, and he says, no. By the way, I have seven. I just had another one. Mm. My God, and he has children. He has children of. Uh, I was just looking there. He has children of uh, fifty-one. Uh, fifty-one his daughter, and mm. forty-six a son. And now this new baby arrives. Like the fifty-one-year-old could be that. Could be that child's. Grandparent. Well, there's a phone ringing there anyway. It's Robert De Niro. He's ringing in complaining that we're giving out about him <laughs> <laughs> being a dad. Well, I leave Robert De Niro waiting. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, of course. The song, a line from a famous song, yeah, indeed. But, but I mean, that, like, what, what kind of relationship will Robert De Niro have with that baby? Like, really? None. 51, 46, 27, 25, uh, 11. That's the age range down to the baby now. 79. and No, he'll have none. You know what I mean? He'll have none. The child will, I hope he lives till he's 100 nod, but the child Mm. will probably never, you know, have any relationship with him at all. When is it too old to be a dad, do you think? Would you put an age in it? I wouldn't put an age on it. Look, if, if, if you're, now maybe... Robert De Niro was well able to run around the place and kick football and yeah and all that you know and but well, I don't know well he's able to do more than talk Italian for sure well yeah that's <laughs> <At> true 79 <laughs> anyway there you go 79 what do you think Robert De Niro and daddy again I have two family passes to give away to Dundery Fair this Sunday unmissable the biggest uh, early summer festival in the northeast happening this Sunday. Something for everybody in the family. So, I have two family passes, which will admit two adults and two children to give away. The question was there's a famous tractor maker brand called Massey. Ferguson was the answer, of course, I was looking for. Thank you to everybody who sent in the right answers. You all know your tractors for sure. Anyway, those family passes today are going to Rose Toomey 
and Siobhan Riley. Well done to both of you. I'll have more passes to give away tomorrow and Friday. So don't despair. You still could be going to Dundery Fair, courtesy of Late Lunch. We'll have another week question for you tomorrow and pick a couple of winners tomorrow and again on Friday. It's coming to ten past three in the afternoon and late lunch and each day we do something like this. Five, four, three, two, one. Counting down the top five songs from this week of yesteryear. And today it's... My Eurovision number three. Yes, uh, it's a little twist on the theme this week on Late Lunch because it is Eurovision week and even though I'm despondent that we're out, Ireland won't be in the final on Saturday. Anyway, I'm continuing my Eurovision countdown with my top five Eurovision songs of all time and they are all winners. And at number three today, I go back to 1974 and a song that set this band or group or whatever, the legendary, on their way. I think they are, they are indeed, the most successful ever Eurovision winners. Yes, it's ABBA and Waterloo. Yeah, the song that set ABBA on their way. Waterloo, Eurovision winner from 1974, when the Eurovision was about a song and not pyrotechnics or anything like that. I do bemoan those days. Anyway, the second semi-final is tomorrow, Thursday, and then the final on Saturday. And uh, I'm sure it'll gather a huge European audience. I like what Charlie McGettigan said to us earlier on the show, that he felt that, uh, you know, the block voting, the uh, endorsement of certain acts by famous other acts uh, could be overcome uh, by means of offering a cash prize where people would vote for what they thought to be uh, the best song. But let's see what happens. Anyway, we're out and that's it. And there's a big disappointment again in Ireland today. Where to from here? Well, who knows? There'll be gnashing of teeth and debate, of course, until it comes round again next year. And we go to select once more. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio this Wednesday afternoon. Been described as a wildlife crisis in Balbriggan Harbour and a rescue operation is ongoing to save two mating swans affectionately known as Romeo and Juliet. We're going to talk about what's happening on the ground there for the next while. In a moment we'll be joined by Dan Donoher, uh, the Kildare Wildlife uh, Manager uh, but first Audrey Williams who's also with the Kildare Wildlife Rehabilitation people. Hello Audrey. Hiya, how are you? Thanks for having us on. Oh no, delighted when we saw the pictures early today we became alarmed because we love our wildlife on the show. There is oil in the harbour. I know I've said it's an alleged oil spill but there's oil there, yes. There is oil in the harbour. There's uh, video and photographic evidence of this and unfortunately this is not the first pollution of oil. It's quite regular actually. The source is not confirmed yet, but there is dumping. There is accidental leaks. Um, there is spills. Um, the and Fingal County Council are fully aware that this is going on. They're updated by myself constantly, by the members of public, by councillors from Sinn Féin and independent local to Balbriggan Harbour, and we don't seem to be getting anywhere. So this is not a first. This has happened previously. So according to the public from Balbriggan, it's going on years. But I first took this on back in June last year. 
um, when Kildare Wildlife Rescue were called to rescue a, a mm. seriously sick swan, who was also uh, a mating pair. Now, we had to remove him from the harbour. He was badly oiled um, while we left her on her nest because legally through NPWS laws, we cannot remove animals who are nesting. Yes. So we had to leave her there. Um, now, we rehabilitated the male. He was doing great. Now, we put him back into Balbriggan Harbour because it's it's a fact that if you relocate swans, they will always go back to their nesting site mm. anyway. Mm. Also, his mate was in the harbour. Again, a couple of weeks later, we had to go and rescue both swans, both male and female. And unfortunately, she lost some signets to the oil pollution as well. And this oil, is it visible on the surface? Well, it's visible on the animals because they're affected by it, number one. But can you see it? Is it there? Is it on the rocks? Is it in the water? So it's quite visible in the water. As you can imagine, um, the pollution of oil and diesel, it kind of looks like a petrolly colour. There's mm. greens and blues and stuff in it, in it as well. There's also um, black. It's like a crude oil. It's quite gloopy and heavy as well. Um, it's really, really visible. Now, when the tide goes out from the harbour, there's a really heavy silt. It's quite no- noticeable in the silt also. So it goes to show how much oil con- contamination is there if you can see it when the tide is out and it's literally just sitting on the silt. Now, as far as the swans go, how it's visible is all along the neck as well. Um, you can see when they're grazing at the bottom of the bed, when they bring their head up in the water, there's actual oil spilling from their mouth. You can also get where the oil is deep within the feathers and you can't actually see that oil, but it comes out like little brown specks on the edges of the feathers. Mm. And when they're brought in to be cleaned, you can really notice how bad the oil is underneath. Now, there's also um, worries with the oil that we can't see physically with swans. When they're drinking this water that's contaminated with oil or diesel, um, it can burn their esophagus. It can affect their their, their stomach as well and this leads to the cause of death which unfortunately there about approximately two months ago we lost another swan like the the probable cause again was um, um, oil as well oil ingestion It's not nice to hear that Where are Romeo and Juliet the current pair have you taken them from the harbour? So we not at the moment we did go to rescue Romeo and Juliet um, and we were unsuccessful that day so you have to take into consideration that we have rescued this pair from the harbour badly oiled twice before. Okay. So this is our third rescue. They're very clever and very wary to us because mm. of the previous rescues. Now, when they were, when they were released, they were released in Bray, they were released in Time and Park another time, and they still made their way back to Balbriggan. As I said, they will always, you know, their home and devices is back to their yes. nesting grounds. Now, we noticed then we went down to do another rescue and she had built a nest. So legally, again, under NPWS law, we cannot remove the birds, the swans when they're nesting. So every single day, uh, myself and other volunteers from Kildare Wildlife Rescue have been doing health checks and we've been monitoring them. Now, unfortunately, she lost her nest to the high tide. Then the swans moved up uh, up the river, which is Bracken River, which flows into the harbour and built a second nest. Again, that nest was destroyed by the high tides. So at the moment, there's no nest. Uh, we got word of this big oil spill yesterday um, and we've all been um, in conflab with each other trying to organise this rescue because this rescue is more serious now to our safety. Yeah. And we're all fully trained 
on this issue so we know not to jump into it. We know that we all have to be in talks together for our own safety and the safety of the swans. We have to have, you know, our proper PPE to deal with um, oil and diesel. So we're all in talks at the moment of what's the best action to take. So they will be removed and they will be rescued. Yeah, and they're not easy, as you say. They're wild creatures. They love the area. They know who you are now and it's not the easiest getting them either at this stage. Just to let you know, uh, Louise has been in touch with the EPA and they say they're looking into this. That's all they've said. Short statement back to us. Uh, Fingal County Council, this is what they've said to us. Uh, Officials from both the Operations and Environment Departments of Fingal County Council are currently on site investigating the source of any oil found in the harbour. The outcome of those investigations will determine next steps to address the contamination. We thank John Mooney from uh, Fingal County Council for providing that statement to us. So they say they're on the ground there working away on it at the moment. Let me bring in your colleague, he's uh, waiting patiently, Dan Donoher, the manager of Kildare Wildlife Rescue. Dan, what are the implications of uh, oil through the feathers, the bodies of swans and how difficult is it to deal with it? Hi, how are you? Thanks for having us on. Yeah, so it it can cause um, death basically in the birds. So the oil um, when in in the feathers can cause the animal to not be waterproof. Um, so all water birds um, would be waterproof. Um, so the oil stops them from it being waterproof. So the the cold water gets in and basically lowers their body temperature, and they can die then of hypothermia. And is it a difficult operation to clean a swan? Yeah, so it's a specialised um, thing to do. So we bring them in, uh, we have to stabilise them first. It's first instincts, um, and it's happened in the past where um, well-meaning people might have took in birds with oil and washed them straight away, but that often ends up with them dying. Um, so we need to stabilise them, make sure they're hydrated, warm, and um, medication if they need it, if there's been a lot of um, oil ingested. And then after a couple of days, wash the bird um, properly. Now we like to do that at one go, um, so it has to be done very thorough and the animal has to be stable. So it is a, a difficult process and then the animal has to dry out, make sure it's waterproof and then um, to release them back. But as Audrey has said, you know, we, c- we can take Romeo and Juliet again and do that, but they're going to just go back to the same you know, problem. So we need to get this addressed. Um, it's going on since last June um, and it's draining on our resources. Um, we're in the busiest time of year now with orphans. Um, so for a team of five or six volunteers to be continuously in Balbriggan um, trying to help these swans is, is obviously um, taking a lot of resources from us. Mm, I can understand that as well. So it's, a, it's two aspects to this. It's the ingestion of the oil and it's the oil then and the feathers both have to be dealt with. And you're clearly saying to people today, don't take this on if you don't know what, what you're doing. And back to the point I made, these are getting cute now. They know you. You're nearly on first name, name terms with them and they know where they're going when, when you get them. It, it's not easy, is it, to, to uh, catch them? It's not. So again, all our volunteers are trained on how to handle wildlife properly and we have some equipment and stuff to do that. But the swans are clever. They know now at this stage and they can recognise the volunteers coming um, and who, who they are. So um, it is proving to be challenging and we have to probably put on a bigger team and try some new ways to, to capture them. But the oil spill from yesterday is quite bad. Um, again, as I already said, it's, it's a safety risk to um, people too. So um, we have to come from the animal aspect, but also um, the people of Balbriggan and, and, and people that might be around the harbour or use them facilities um, are also in danger here. So 
and it, it needs to be addressed. Mm. And uh, again, I say uh, the EPA and Fingal County Council are trying to identify where this oil is coming from. Uh, they're onto it at the moment. So let's hope they are successful and where it, uh, they, they find out exactly. Because as you said, uh, Dan, the problem has to be dealt with at source for the good of all wildlife there and of, indeed the good of human life as well. I have to leave it there today. Audrey, thank you for joining me. I wish you well. And Dan, thanks a lot. Thank it's you. Also, Thanks for having us. Not at all. You're, you're very welcome. Take care of yourselves. Bye, bye, bye. Great people. Kildare Wildlife Rescue. We've uh, had them on the show here in the past uh, on the Wildlife Matters. And uh, let's hope that that's sorted out sooner rather than later. That's our lot on late lunch for this Wednesday afternoon, midweek Wednesday. Have a nice evening. Paul McKenna's coming next with The Drive and more besides here on LMFM Radio. Do stay with us and we'll be back with your Thursday late lunch from 1.30. See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drahada, Dundalk and Cavan.